Welcome to this special Nobel Prize edition of Science Talk, the podcast of Scientific American. I'm Steve Mursky. This year's prize is about something very small that makes all the difference. The Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences has decided to award the 2013 Nobel Prize in Physics to Professor François Anglais at Université Libre de Bruxelles, Belgique, and Professor Peter Higgs at University of Edinburgh, United Kingdom. Stefan Normark, Permanent Secretary of the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences, at a press conference shortly before 7 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time this morning. And the Academy citation runs for the theoretical discovery of a mechanism that contributes to our understanding of the origin of mass of subatomic particles and which recently was confirmed through the discovery of the predicted fundamental particle by the Atlas and Simeas experiments at San Large Hydrogen Collider. Professor Gunnar Ingelman will now give us a short summary in English, please. This is a triumph, not only for Professor Angler and Professor Higgs, but for theoretical physics more generally, and actually the whole research field of elementary particle physics. It also illustrates the scientific method namely to formulate theories based on mathematics in attempts to understand the laws of nature and testing them against experimental measurements. In 1964, François Anglaire, together with his now deceased colleague Robert Braut and Peter Higgs proposed independently of each other the, the theory to solve the fundamental problem of how particles acquire mass. Their theory became a cornerstone of the standard model for elementary particle physics, which describes all matter as being built of a few kinds of basic matter particles and all forces in nature as mediated by a few kinds of force particles. However, their theory required a totally new quantum field which should be manifested by a new and special kind of particle, the Higgs particle. This particle has now, at last, been observed last year by the ATLAS and CMS collaborations or experiments at the International CERN Laboratory outside uh, Geneva in Switzerland. Thank you, Professor Ingelman. And now I turn to Professor Olga Botner. So this brings me to the 4th of July, 2012, which is a day that marks a new era in particle physics. And this is not only because François Angler and Peter Higgs met for the first time ever in front of a packed auditorium at CERN, but mainly because their ideas on mass of the fundamental particles had just been confirmed. But let us start by going 50 years back in time. In the autumn 1964, Anglaire, together with Robert Braut, who is now no longer with us, and Peter Higgs independently published two manuscripts explaining how certain particles can obtain mass. So both made a contribution to explaining the origin of mass, and these contributions cannot be distinguished. 
Now, what they did is central to the so-called standard model of particle physics. And let me try to explain what the standard model of particle physics is about by taking this example of a fly. So everything around us, and we ourselves, flowers, trees, stars, can be described in, term, in terms of a handful of constituents of matter and the forces acting between them. And so if you now look at the fly, it consists of molecules. Each molecule consists of atoms, and each atom has an atomic nucleus and orbiting around the nucleus, we have electrons. Nuclei are not fundamental particles. The protons and neutrons have in turn, in turn fundamental constituents which we today believe are indivisible, and they are called quarks. Now, these fundamental matter particles interact by means of forces, and within quantum mechanics, we believe that these forces are mediated by quanta, by particles. And so we have the electromagnetic force mediated by photons, which are massless. We have the weak nuclear force mediated by massive particles, which are called W and Z. And we have the strong nuclear force mediated by massless gluons. Now, all is well and good, except that the theory behind the standard model would like all the mediator particles and all the matter particles to be massless. However, we all know they are not massless. I mean, we are not massless. So something must be there in the background to give these particles mass. So how can the world be so diverse? What is the origin of mass? Now, the problem is that to make the standard model work, we need theories which are basically symmetrical. But these symmetries forbid particles to have mass. If you try to put in mass by hand into the theories, the theories will collapse, then, and the standard model no longer works. So somehow the symmetries must be broken in such a way that keeps the good properties of the theory. Now this is where the Mexican hat comes in. Now the Mexican hat symbolizes asymmetry. If you think in terms of a hat, you see a hat in front of you, and suppose you had the bag which sits on top in the center of the hat. To you, all the world looks symmetric. All directions are equivalent. However, if you slide down into the valley, then the world is no longer symmetric. There's obviously one direction in which it's easy to move, which is around the center, and there are directions in which it's difficult to move, and it's along, up and along the brim. And so now we have a situation which was symmetric to begin with, but which is no longer symmetric. Now this Mexican hat symbolizes, illustrates, a piece of mathematics that brought Angler and Higgs added into the theory to show that you could have a theory which was inherently symmetric, but where the ground state, the state of the lowest energy, did not display the symmetry. And this is what saved the standard model. Now, the, the theory made a concrete prediction. Namely, one, there should exist a new fundamental particle. And two, all the other particles in nature, the matter particles 
and the quanta mediating forces should gain mass through interactions with these particles. Which brings us back to the 4th of July 2012, appearing in front of a packed auditorium at CERN. The spokespersons of the experiments Atlas and CMS announced the observation of a new fundamental particles in proton-proton collisions at the Large Hadron Collider, which had properties consistent with the long-sought-after Higgs particle. And you can imagine that the whole auditorium exploded in applause. Now, the Higgs particle cannot be seen directly. It can only be reconstructed from its decays, from traces it leaves in particle detectors. So from these traces, you can reconstruct the particle mass. And so what we have here is the final piece in the puzzle, which is the standard model. This is, of course, not the final piece in the puzzle of the universe. There are still mysteries left. We don't know what the dark mass is. We don't know what the dark energy is. We don't know if Higgs is the only Higgs particle that exists or there's more Higgs particles. So obviously, there are things to do for future generations of scientists. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Botner. We will now see if we can get hold of a Professor Anglair, I just talked to him a few minutes ago. Uh, are you there with us, Professor Anglair? Uh, yes, I am on the phone. Oh, good day and congratulations. How do you feel right now? Well, uh, thank you very much. I feel very well, of course. Uh, uh, now I'm very happy. Yes, um, so I'm sitting here in the session hall at the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences and I have a, a large group of uh, people from yes. the media and international press. And are you ready to, to take some questions from the press, Professor Anglais? Yes, please. I will try to do what I can. Okay. I have a question there. <laughs> yes. Hello, uh, um, uh, Professor Anglais. My name is Maria Gunther Axelsson. I'm uh, writing for the Swedish newspaper Dagens Nyheter. Now that the standard model is complete... Which, in your opinion, is the biggest question remaining to be solved in physics? Well, uh, there are a few big questions, right? Uh, first, the question which is still not solved is whether there is some broken supersymmetry which will manifest itself at energy which will not yet been reached. This is a critical point for uh, what will happen. But, of course, uh, there are other problems, like uh, which uh, some of them may be directly related, some other indirectly or maybe not related, which is uh, the problem of dark matter is probably somehow hopefully related to particle physics. The problem of dark energy is a more tricky problem, which one way or another leads us to what is, in my opinion, the most and the fundamental problem which is not solved today, despite uh, some progress, which is a problem of quantum gravity, of the quantization of gravity. Hello. Yeah? Congratulations. My name is Joanna Rose. I Thank work you. for a Swedish yeah? popular science magazine, Forskning of Ramsteg. And I would like to ask you, in the late 60s, when you worked on the theory did you ever think yeah. about the discovery of the Higgs boson? Oh, 
yes, but the whole thing uh, at that time. Uh, well, first, the late 60s is not really when the thing was done. It was the beginning of the 60s, and in 64, it was published after a lot of thought. At that time, uh, we thought that uh, we're going to solve this way the problem of uh, short-range forces, which was completely unsolved at that time, and which obviously is related to the problem of the origin of mass. So the boson by itself is something that uh, is the experimental test of the existence of the whole uh, mechanism, and uh, one had to wait. Uh, certainly, we had to wait first before the theory itself was applied to something which is a standard model, which took some time. It, had, uh, it took some time to first prove the consistency of uh, uh, our theory, which was uh, uh, up to the beginning of the 70s. The standard model was built up. And only after that, could one look for a test, because the standard model was wonderfully verified, except for uh, the missing element, which was that boson, whose condensation is what gives the uh, uh, mass to particle and the uh, uh, short range forces. Okay, do we have another question, please? Yes, hi, congratulations. This is Marlin from the Associated Press. Uh, of course, this was highly Thank anticipated um, by all of us. But how did you feel when you found out about the award, and uh, what are you planning to do with the prize money? Ah, well, the first the second question, I, I don't know. I, that's not my concern now. Uh, the first part of the question was what? About... Just uh, how does it feel to have won a Nobel Prize? I mean, ah, well, well, you may imagine that this, not, uh, this is not very unpleasant, of course. <laughs> uh, I am, I'm very, very happy to, to have that recognition of this uh, extraordinary uh, uh, reward. And uh, so uh, I'm very happy of it. What can I say more? Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. And thank you very much. I think this was the last uh, question from, from the press here. And uh, thank you, Professor Anglaire. And once again, warm congratulations. And we look forward to see you in Stockholm in December for the Nobel Prize ceremony. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Olga Botner of the Nobel Committee for Physics then spoke with an unidentified interviewer about this year's prize. These are two scientists, Anglad and Higgs, who actually wrote the theory in the 60s, 1964. So they had to wait even longer for the prize. Why so? So there's a theory, there are a lot of theories out there, there's a lot of theorists out there, but in the end, it's the interplay between experiment and theory which decides what nature has chosen as the grand scheme of things. And so it took 50 years for the prediction they made in 1964 to turn out to come true. And the thing which makes the prize interesting right now, you're asking why 50 years, is because of this observation of a new particle at CERN with the properties expected uh, by the theory. So this is why. Sometimes you have to wait 50 years, and sometimes the theory may turn out to not be true. 
And this is this so-called Higgs particle. This is a so-called uh, Higgs particle. Yeah. Many people have heard about it. Why, why was it so hard to get it, to discover it? Well, there are several things. One thing is that the theory predicted that there ought to be a particle. It could tell us the properties of this particle, so how it interacted with other particles, with matter particles, and force carrier particles. But it couldn't tell us what the mass of this particle was. And so we didn't know where to look. And so, actually, for the past 50 years, this particle has been looked for at every accelerator in existence. So it has been looked for at the ISR, it has been looked for at the SPS at CERN, at the lab collider at the Tevatron. And this, is, this was an ongoing hunt. So from other properties, one could try to narrow the range of mass, and one did so both at the F-Lab and, and the Tevatron. So in the end, we knew more or less that if it existed, it had to be there. And then the LHC came in. It is the most powerful accelerator in existence, could produce enough energy to make this happen. And so we found the particle. They got it. Why, why is this particle so important? Well, the particle in itself is not as important as the theory which it represents. So the theory tells us why we exist, more or less. Because as I said in my talk, yeah, this is a philosophical question then again, but maybe it tells us why we don't float away like the photon. I mean, we all know that we are massive. We know that we consist of atoms, and the atoms have atomic nuclei, protons and electrons, and neutrons, this is what we consist of. But according to the theories which existed before the mechanism was proposed, all these particles ought to have been massless. And we know that unfortunately we are massive, some are more massive than other people, but definitely not massless. So there was something wrong, and the theory proposed the solution. And this is why the theory is important, and the particles is important as a manifestation of this theory. So all particles get their masses from the Higgs field, the Higgs field theory, and uh, where, where does this Higgs particle exist? Is it here around us, or where is it? <laughs> well, I have to modify this a little bit. All particles that we consist of get mass from the Higgs particle. There are particles which do not seem to interact with the Higgs particle, namely the neutrinos. And so the standard model is not complete. There are, it is probably only a low energy approximation of something larger, which also explains the mass of the neutrinos, which also explains the dark matter. So at the moment we don't know. But electrons and protons and neutrons, the quarks inside them, get mass by interaction, interacting with the Higgs. So one way of looking at it is to imagine that the Higgs field is something which pervades all the universe. It's everywhere. It's here in the room, it's out in, in the black space, it's everywhere. And so every particle which moves through this field, and it's forced to, will interact with the Higgs particles, and in that way gets mass. All the time? Now? All the time. Now. And we don't see We don't feel, I mean, we are born like that, right? So we wouldn't, we wouldn't feel the field. But where does this field and the particle come from? Well, this is something that we actually don't know. 
I mean, this must have happened in the Big Bang somehow, that this is how our universe is constructed, that there is this field. It is possible that this field was part of the inflation process which blew up the universe from a very tiny size to what we have today. We also don't know that. We don't know if there's only one Higgs field or maybe there's more Higgs fields. So there are still mysteries to be solved. If this Higgs particle is so crucial to the whole universe and the discovery was so hard to make, why didn't the people who made the discovery get the Nobel Prize? Well, this is, as you know, it's a very difficult question for me to answer because we are now at, not at liberty to divulge the discussions which take place inside the Nobel Committee or inside, indeed, the Academy when the decision is made. But let me just tell you that the decision on the prize is based on primarily the test of the, the will of Alfred Nobel, on the nominations which we receive this very year, and then we, of course, take into account the prestige and the tradition of the prize. Now, weighing all these things together, we came up, up with, with uh, the proposal of this year's prize. Mm -hmm. And now for the rest of the internal discussion, we'll have to wait 50 years. Um, and the Higgs particle has been said to be the last uh, piece of the standard model puzzle for elementary particle physics. Is particle physics uh, over now? Is it finished? The standard models so far are so good, but as I already told you, there are still unsolved things. One is the neutrinos. They somehow don't fit completely into the standard model. They do have mass, but apparently they're not getting their mass through interactions with Higgs. There's also the question why the Higgs is so light. Maybe there are more, more Higgs particles. Maybe this is just one of them and there are more to be found. So today the belief is that the standard model is a low energy approximation of a more complete theory. And this more complete theory is what particle physics is after now. So there are various speculations. Supersymmetry may be a possible extension of the standard model. There are also people speaking of extra dimensions so that our four-dimensional world is just what we perceive of a larger ten-dimensional world and the other dimensions are just tiny rolled up and we don't see them. So there are many speculations out there. And like with the Higgs, you know, experiment will eventually show which theory is the right one. Thank you very much, Dr. You're most welcome. Taking your time. Well, thank you. Thank you.